You're listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode 142, side B. Bees nuts? <laughs> please don't do that every episode. Please, please, please don't do that every episode. Give me five podcast, a bi-weekly podcast. We are bi now, guys. Reviewing the things you we love today and we the things before. you loved. Uh, and the things you loved yesterday. <laughs> and uh, my name is Greg. And I am joined by Pinback. Yo. Hello. And Lieutenant Doolittle, or spelled right. I don't know how they spelled it wrong. Doolittle. Which one of you is Doolittle. Ah, fair enough. I, uh, whatever. Because I got yeah. a little duty. There you go. <laughs> and the only other person I know that has read the book Shock Value, which gave me the idea to record to talk about this movie, Kerwin. Hello, Kerwin Digo. Hello. You were here for one reason and one reason alone. That is to point out all the times I am wrong when I try to quote <laughs> that book. I'll do my best. You're going to be my podcast wife, letting me know every time I've screwed up. So, okay. thank you, dear. Uh, this is a welcome, side honey. B episode. It is our new thing. We have side A episodes, which is modern stuff. Side B episodes, which is movies from the past. A little bit of nostalgia. And uh, that's why we are going to be talking about Dark Star. And this is the episode where we will answer our question of the week. Our Give Me Five question of the week. And it's a good one this week, I think. It was actually really fun, but hard as hell to research. Yeah, it really was. Sorry. Yeah, I, I but, kept getting hung up on, on things that wouldn't fit the uh, parameters. Yeah, parameters. Stupid parameters. Yeah, love the parameters. Stupid parameters. Yeah, I did not label it, but Rob, give us our spoiler warning. So, guys, as always, it is a review show. We're probably gonna have some spoilers. This movie's old as shit. So, and I don't know that there's really anything to spoil on it because it doesn't really go anywhere. But <laughs> it's a crappy movie. Came out two decades ago. If we spoil it, deal with it. There you go. Uh, it was over two decades ago. It was, it was more than two decades. I, I said it I was three. Out over. Yeah, we're old. It was four. So yeah, damn near four decades ago. So let's get right into it, guys. Dark Star released January sixteenth of nineteen seventy five in the theaters. Directed by John Carpenter. Written by Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter. It stars people that you've probably not heard of, other than when I said Dan O'Bannon a second ago, because he's in it. Uh, Brian Norell, Cal Cuneholm, and Dre Pach. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> P-A-H-I-C. You haven't heard of. <laughs> yes, of all those guys. Head. Was it actually 75? Because the version I watched, I thought said 74 on it. Right. It was one of those. It was yeah, definitely one of those that IMDb was a, a 74, but the theatrical release uh, was 75, but it, it was, was a student film, which I think was made in early seventies, like 71 or 72, right? Mm. Yeah. Actual premiere was 74. Um, so as Greg said, yes, student film, um, 
along with another that was made uh, around that same time that uh, was picked up and was funded to be released as a uh, full feature-length film. uh, What's the other one? For better, for worse. The other one is THX 1138, which we'll talk more about later. Okay. George Lucas film. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting crossover here. Uh, The synopsis of this movie... In the far reaches of space, a small crew, 20 years into their solitary mission, find things beginning to go hilariously wrong. Now, uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say hilarious. So let's go into the topic. Now, I picked this movie. I think this movie is some let, – let me just talk real quick about the uh, my initial thoughts. I was very excited to see this movie. I had seen the cover of this movie. at They had – one of those little things with the uh, you could buy the VHS tapes at my local Publix, actually, that I used to work at. And this was one of them that they had forever where they had the cardboard box in the little plastic sleeve. And I was like, what is this weird space movie from before Star Wars? I had never seen it. I knew the story behind it. And then I read Shock Value. Thank you, Corwin. And was like, okay, maybe I do need to see this because there's a lot of tendrils that kind of lead to other movies that I like. Um, I am very glad this movie exists. I don't know if I ever need to see it again. <laughs> uh, I, I, might I, actually, I might actually still be watching it for all I know, because it is very slow. Yeah. Yeah. Slow is an understatement. Yeah. It's a movie that was never meant to be more than 45 minutes. Correct. But they got funded they added about an hour onto that and you could tell that uh, Mr. Carpenter had no idea what the fuck he was doing with mm-hmm. the rest of that time. Yeah. I think but, that's a good way to put it. Um, jumping right in. Uh, my first thought was, man, it's a wonder anybody ever let John Carpenter make any more movies, but I'm <laughs> sure glad yeah. they did. Yeah. I am so glad. Yeah, I watched that and I was like, wow, this is amazing that the same dude went on to make Alien and, you know, uh-huh. wrote Total Recall and some other ones. Yeah. <laughs> off to a rough start. Mm-hmm. What? It wasn't all that much later either, with Alien at least. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's – I mentioned this last week when you're listening to an album and you might not necessarily like it, but you like where it's going. And that's what I felt – pretty much throughout this movie where I didn't necessarily like it, but I could see what it was going to lead to. And you could see that they were trying all of the things that weren't going to work first and then figure out how to make it work later. Partic- particularly the beach ball, which we will definitely talk about. Oh, God. <laughs> which I knew about because of, I, of shock I'm still value. not sure what was going on there. <laughs> It was a temporary object that they were using, and then they decided to just keep it. Remember, they made this movie not thinking anyone was going to see it other than their class. Mm-hmm. Yep. They probably would have got an F. <laughs> they won awards for it. The standards were very low in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and this was like everybody was on drugs. 70s. Yeah, early, early 70s. Yeah, I mean, they, so- they did a lot with, with very little budget. I mean, it also wasn't very well received right away because one of the things Dan O'Bannon mentioned in Shock Value was, you know, nobody was really laughing. And he's like, I don't think they realized it was a comedy. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, I, so like I was really excited to see it because of hearing them talk about it so much in shock value. But then, um, you know, the, the opening scenes, I was like, no, it's definitely a comedy. It's just not funny. Exactly. <laughs> it was funny to the two people who made it. Yeah. But yeah, pretty much. I think else. they were on drugs. Oh, they're definitely on drugs. Yeah, because like those uh, those those glasses with the springy eyes and rubber chickens and like that, that stuff just isn't funny anymore. Like it was lowbrow stuff back then. And why why is it on a spaceship? Yeah, so <laughs> there was a, let's talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so the overall theme of the movie and the movie itself was really about how like space was tedious and boring as is the movie. Uh, whereas back before then, right in the few years before that, we had just gone to space. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. everything space related was huge and grand and big. And this was one of the first movies that actually made the ships old and decrepit and nasty. And like, there was like inexplicable, like bottles there, like hanging up on like wires. There was like, there was like wood shelves and things. Like wood, there's a wood stool. And I was there. like, where'd they get the wood? <laughs> and I was like, where the hell did second, the wood come from? I, I rewound because I was like, did they stop somewhere that I missed? Because like, you know, we watched this on YouTube, by the way. Fucking indoor, man. Yeah. They were eating Ewoks. <laughs> so, so there was like this whole situation where, and where there was like, the spaceship stops looking like a spaceship in certain areas, but and I guess they were doing that to make it look like they had been there 20 years, where people had, like, decorated their own rooms and done whatever, and, like, random crap that would never, ever be in space. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, for, uh, for example, uh, wing nuts on the bottom of an elevator would never happen. <laughs> yeah. I know that. For, I know that. Especially when they're loose enough that you can just undo it with your hand. Right? Like, the one thing I've learned about doing sim- simulation for the military is that every single screw on every single vehicle has to actually have a wire on it because the vehicles shake so much. It will actually, the the screws will actually come out and get sucked into the engine, blowing up the vehicle. Wow. So there's not going to be freaking wig nuts that you can undo with your hand while hanging from an arm. On, <laughs> that on you've been thing. hanging from for about 20 minutes. All on camera too, which is, you know, long, very, very long. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely this, it was, one of the things that this led to was the idea of vehicles and spaceships being lived in. And while again, not well presented here without this, there would not have been the idea of the star Wars ships looking the way they did. Yeah. Or even ships from God. It's so even like the event horizon and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, where you can see like an an older ship and they've used Mm -hmm. it for a long time and there's just wear and tear on it. Like it doesn't look fancy and brand new all the time. Yeah. Alien fire, firefly. uh, Um, Yeah. uh, The last starfighter. I mean, the the same person that designed the, this ship designed all the ships from alien and designed the last starfighter ship. Yeah. Uh, this ship he designed on a napkin at an IHOP, by the way, which I found out, which is kind of interesting. And it made me <laughs> want to have some uh, Rudy 2D fresh and fruity pancakes. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by IHOP. Get your Rudy 2D fresh and fruity pancakes. I wish uh, it would, man. Their, their burgers are, are fantastic. If, if you haven't had one from there. Um, this movie also, like you uh, kind of touched on, made space travel not that appealing. Not mm-hmm. glamorous, not shiny, not squeaky, like, you know, it had been portrayed before 
the the idea that you are so far away from civilization that you will all you want to do is blow shit up. Well, and, and you, <laughs> by the time you get back, your entire family will probably be dead. Mm-hmm. You know that that confrontation um, with with that that fact there um, as it, it resonates into sci-fi today. The the movie mm-hmm. that um, I I can compare it a lot to was the movie Moon with Sam Rockwell. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know that that scenario with with pin back and um you just you know uh getting into the moment that that turned this movie around for me was pinback's monologue oh yeah you mentioned that yeah you're like what is this crap and then you text and you're like oh this movie really turned around i'm like hang on a second holy shit this is this is moon 40 years ago i mean yeah more explosions sure and more um, upside down ice trays. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, holy shit, is that what? Yeah, it, and it sure was. <laughs> yeah, let's, can we talk about that real quick? So, yeah. it, have you guys heard of the, the That's a Book Light? Have you ever heard of that? No. So, no. That's, that's a Book Light. It is a, it's a Reddit forum, but it's a, it's other places as well. And there was a, Oh, uh, what movie was it? Dang it. I was, I had written down too. There's a movie where someone puts down a book light on a, on a counter and it, um, it's supposed to block out internet (laughs) and surveillance, but it's just one of those books. (laughs) It's just one of those, it's one of those clippy book lights with a little arm that opens up. So there's a website where you can like, where you can look at all these things that are in movies that are really other things. And you already said it, the buttons in the ship are all upside down ice cream, ice cube trays. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the chess pieces on one of the spacesuits is just an, a muffin, muffin tin. Yeah. It's definitely a muffin tin. Uh, the space helmets didn't fit the dudes because they, they were actually were toys. Child's toys. <laughs> yeah. From the star team uh, produced from 1968 to 71. But, but the thing about that is I, I've seen that in other movies. Colonel, what was that? That movie that we watched, um, it was a sci-fi movie on Netflix. It was a lower budget where the alien was actually a human. Well, the alien was actually oh, um, extinction. Extinction. Did did the creature not look just like that spacesuit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of so, did. Now that you mention it, yeah, it was it was V for Vendetta. By the way, the book light. I found it. Uh, okay. Um. So there's that. Uh. The talking bombs were actually toy truck model kits yeah. that they built. They just like kit bashed and made different things. Uh, you mentioned this before we recorded. Uh, Major Matt Mason was a toy that they basically based all of the spacesuit stuff off of, so that when they did the miniature effect, they, <laughs> when they did the miniatures. When they zinged them out of the airlock, <laughs> they could launch the toy and it would look fine. Yeah. Uh, character Tally had a backpack that was very clearly styrofoam packing material from a television. <laughs> Uh, and this stuff, like we joke and stuff like that, but if you, what I know, started noticing that kind of stuff when the, uh, original star Wars came out on Blu-ray where you could actually see the background items. It was like, Oh, that's just, you know, uh, venting for my dryer, like in yeah. the top, in the bulkhead of the, the, um, millennium Falcon. All the, the light were fucking vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the lightsabers you can buy old, uh, flash the uh, the flashes for a camera and that's what a lot of the lightsaber handles were 
So I mean, it's definitely a cool way of doing that. But as what I think we'll lead into, because I think Jimmy wanted to talk about this too, a lot of these items they were able to pick up and a lot of this same stuff Lucas looked at because they were actually classmates, George Lucas and John Carpenter at USC. And that class was crazy impressive. All the people that came out of there. Um, so, Oh, the other big thing, the, uh, that got carried over and, you know, things that are common, you know, they, they, uh, reuse some ideas too, but, um, Let's go back over real quick and talk about USC class. Did you did you want to talk about the the people that, that John Carpenter worked with a little bit? Uh, I thought you were leading that way with Jimmy, or I thought Jimmy was leading that way. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't, but you can uh, you can go right ahead. So don't you put words in his mouth? No, no I idea who they went to class with. <laughs> no, so, I'm sorry. Uh, so John Carpenter did did go to film school. He went to film school, of course, with Dan O'Bannon, who he made this film with. Uh, Dan O'Bannon, of course, went on to write Alien. Went on to write uh, uh, Total Recall. Of course, John Carpenter. We know the stuff that that he worked on um, while working on this. He did, of course, he worked with. Uh, he was at school at USC with O.J. Simpson. Yeah, I know. More murder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Greg's all about the murder. Yeah. Gary Kurtz, who's a producer you've probably heard about. Um, uh, other names that probably won't make much sense unless you Google them, but they're because they're all writer, directors, producers. John Milius, Matthew Robbins, W.D. Richter, uh, Randall Kleiser. But all these people work together on these various films and bounced ideas off of each other. Yeah. For some example, guy named Nick Castle. Yeah, some guy named Nick Castle who ended up doing the filming of this movie, right? He was a camera assistant. Yeah. And he and then went he, on to uh, star in another John Carpenter film uh, without ever actually seeing his face. He was yep. Michael Myers and still is yep. Michael Myers. He's also and, the director of Tag the Assassination Game. Yep. Mm. A recently covered uh, film on this year's show. And... Like while they were working on these movies, things ideas were bounced back and forth. And for example, one of the things that John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon talked about is how much they really love the 1950s movie, The Thing. The and then, thing. and then, what did John Carpenter end up deciding to reach out and do as a result of these conversations? He remade The Thing. So, like as I said before, this movie, while not great, it led and to it was amazing a damn classic. Yes, yeah, and it's I mean like. I could sit through this movie for an hour and 20 minutes knowing that the thing came out of it. That almost sounded dirty. What the almost. <laughs> so I got a thing to come out of. Okay. <laughs> talking about I am, <laughs> now I'm actually surprised. There is a, a bunch of talking bombs in this movie, which was kind they of put in there attitude. as a joke. Yeah. They put that in there as a joke because they were trying to figure out how to end that sequence where the bomb gets stuck. And they're like, well, what if we coax the bomb out of it? And John Carpenter actually was like, didn't like that idea, but Dan O'Bannon did. I'm actually surprised, Rob, that you didn't like that a little more because it was a lot of wordplay. Um, the conversation back and forth, like the philosophical conversation with the bomb. It didn't make sense. <laughs> I think that was kind of the point. I was well, like, that was also really rushed. Like you can't have a philosophical conversation like that one in 50 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that was about as long as I would like the philosophical conversation to be. <laughs> I, after a couple of seconds of somebody asking me questions like that, I would give up as well. Like, you know what? I don't know. I'm going back. I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to blow up anymore. Just shut up. <laughs> Just, <laughs> this will get you away from me. Then. All right. There and why, is, why did he need to go out into space to talk to the bomb? Uh, the bomb didn't have a phone. I don't know. Well, it wasn't responding over the radio, I guess. Well, I mean, it kind of was, but then it kind of wasn't. Yeah, Maybe but he was still using the radio to talk to it when he this was is true. out there in space. So I'm still not quite sure why he had to go outside the ship to talk to the bomb. Robert, you have you ever talked to a bomb before? I, well, the other day when I dropped one, yeah. Uh, I knew that was coming. You talked to it? Come on. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. talking about poop, Greg. Yeah, I know he's talking about poop. I was trying to not talk about poop. Yeah, really, the only reason he went out there was to continue to the end of the movie so they could float away from each other. Yeah, that pretty much. So stupid. <laughs> Strictly a MacGuffin. That was it. Yeah, they yeah it, it, they did it to push things along. Um, let's talk about that's the what Matt did on the toilet. Push one along. <laughs> push it along. Let's nothing talk. to see here. Real quick about the ship's mascot. Can we can we talk about that? <laughs> oh my god! It was a fucking beach ball. Yeah, it was. Claws. It did this cute little tapping thing. Like <laughs> it was a beach ball <laughs> claws. It looked as if they had put something in there temporarily that they were going to replace with digital, whatever, digital graphics. Except that didn't exist yet. <laughs> so. and the th- and the thing got mad because he tried to feed it a fucking coconut. <laughs> Where the hell did he get a coconut? Uh, space swallows grasped it in their little claws. Mm-hmm. I'm yes, I I was going Monty Python as well. Where'd you get the coconuts? <laughs> what? No, you haven't. <laughs> 20 years not seeing other people yet they still have coconuts Coconuts. i think uh, the ship was very big considering the the opening scene when they're all sitting in the control room they're like sitting back to back like in this little narrow corridor yeah i was like oh god like uh, bedroom yeah, well, I guess the rest of it was the, coconut storage. The crew quarters like blew up and they're like, yeah, no, I don't want to fix it. You go fix it. No, I don't want to fix it. You go fix it. <laughs> Fuck it. Let's just turn the fridge into a crew quarters because that's where the food storage was. The food storage was there and they turned the food storage into the, the bunks and everybody yeah. was sleeping on a cot. And the one dude was pulling rubber chickens out of his ass and wearing springy goggles and thought it was hilarious and i think he was high on meth or some shit i don't know that's a nice uh precursor to our modern day um couches with refrigerators built into them any of you like, have one of those go on like they're just being <laughs> there's being lazy like ah let's, let's let's just lay by the food then we don't have to get up <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah, my, my fridge is 15 feet away from my couch i'm not going over there there, there was no food in there and and why in the hell why in the hell 
were they eating like these these sterile TV dinner pouch packets, and they got like coconuts? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. They're like, let's let's give the ship mascot all of the real food, and we'll eat the package shit. I would rather the liquid chicken. I would rather drink liquid ham than I would (laughs) attempt to open a coconut. Well, they had that laser gun. That he decided to set up and just shoot in the hallway with the other dude just kind of sitting there. Hey, buddy, yeah. watch this. He's like, well, that's my head, you dick. Yeah, and aren't you I'm worried about to... that laser going to go through the hole? <laughs> you don't, starting to think you don't worry about that hair. stuff after 20 years in space. <laughs> you know, like Steve Buscemi losing his mind in, in um, Armageddon. <laughs> just blasting that gun around. I'll pull this chicken out of my ass. I'm okay I'm... now. You can untie me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm starting to think long-haired hippie guys with giant mustaches were probably not the best astronauts. Just a just a thought. But our, our alien beach ball, yeah, as you said, gets mad, and it leads to the least suspenseful suspense moment of this movie. Although you did get some some uh, John Carpenter uh, uh, synthesizer music, the little like the synth hits when the when the beach ball attacks by bouncing on the dude. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, what the. Which was interesting because John Carpenter wrote that opening song, that Benson, Arizona. Just think Which he could have he could have uh, started off that movement instead of the synth stuff. Oh God! Like <laughs> Americana. And we ain't going through your hair in Benson, Arizona. <laughs> we could have had that. I'm yeah. glad we did not. That could have been your theme song instead of. You know, awesome synthwave. Yeah. yeah, maybe it will be. <laughs> yeah, there's part of me that's like sees the beach ball thing, and he's like fighting off the beach ball with a uh, the broomstick. And Lucas is probably watching this being filmed from the back of the classroom. And he's like, "This would be cooler if those were like lights, lightsabers, <laughs> laser swords." Yeah, <laughs> laser swords. Yeah, write that down. And then the uh, and then the fucking beach ball steals the broom and beats him with it. I'm like. Really? Yeah. How but, did he, it didn't even have arms? It just had those weird little claw feet hand things. With then it was standing on. Yeah. It's like how did it steal the broom? And then it just sort of bounced around and well, I mean, it bounced obviously it was a ball, but somehow it would just stick to everything too. It's climbing mm-hmm. walls. It's like a spider. And then, like I'm going to do to the deer, they blast the poor little beach ball with a blaster, causing it to deflate and fly around the room for way too long. <laughs> And we lost our little alien mascot beach ball. When I when I read when I read the book, I was and they described it as an alien beach ball. I thought that it was like a joke. Like <laughs> it was just kind. Of, I thought that it was something else. That that's what it kind of looked like. But you can like literally see the plastic seams on it. It was it literally a beach ball. You know what made me applaud after that was the uh, self awareness that the movie had when um, he's describing to the rest of the crew what happened. I don't know. It's just some kind of like, like beach baller, like a balloon or something. It just must have been full of gas. And I'm like, oh, they get it at least. And yeah, yeah, that's true. They didn't. They didn't try to hide it and be like, yeah, yeah this great. Look at that great special effect over there. <laughs> they didn't over-explain it. It was just like, okay, we know what this yeah. is. And uh, and that creature actually inspired one of the greatest sci-fi horror films that uh, our generation has come to know and that was uh alien yep so yeah i guess you opened it up let's let's talk about that yeah uh, we Bannon. mentioned it before mm-hmm. good 
Yeah, the co-writer of this film, Dan O'Bannon, who played Penback, um, took that idea and said, well, what if the creature were, of course, more intimidating um, than a beach ball? But It looked like a bunch of vaginas. Yeah. What if – whoa, hold on. What? <laughs> the alien is, looks like a bunch of – all of his work looks like a bunch of vaginas. Uh, all of uh, the creator of the alien. Yeah, H.R. Geiger. Oh, no. <laughs> They're all yeah, his, his, I, yeah, his his I, work is I, I all very sexualized. The but the yeah. well, the the egg could be somewhat vaginal, but the yeah. uh, xenomorph is yeah. really more phallic. Yeah. yeah. So uh, his, the the idea that spawned from that was: what if this creature were, of course, more intimidating and stalked the crew of a a, a spaceship uh, for the whole film? Game over, man. Yeah. Yep. So, uh this this movie has its uh, deep reaching its its tendrils as greg said yeah so it of course led to the uh, script called star beast which is what you're talking about yes, sir. uh there's something else that it caused when they were filming the sequence of dan o'bannon crawling through the the uh tunnels or what are they called the the duct work he fucked up his stomach and of course the elevator scene which was filmed sideways he's hanging on the bottom of an elevator but he's really not he's filmed laying sideways. on the floor yeah, so it totally messed up his stomach. He had had he had Crohn's disease, didn't know it, and when he started doing all this weird contorting and sliding around and stuff like that, he aggravated it, which left him really debilitated for a long time, basically until his death a few years ago. Uh, he took the idea of what was he was feeling in his stomach, and that's where he wrote the chest the chest burster scene, which executives wanted to take out. Hello, like my baby. Were. Hello, my darling. Hello, my wrong, <laughs> <laughs> wrong movie. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> but um, they want to take it out, and and because it was so personal to him, I don't think he let him. It's, there's, um, this is probably where I'm going to be wrong from shock value, but you know that's what there were people that did not like that scene. There were people that were passing out and fainting, and Dan O'Bannon was like, you know, we tried to make people laugh to get a reaction, and we couldn't. Let's get them scared. Yeah, let's horrify him. And they sure as shit did. Yeah, they filmed that worked. scene in Alien without the actors knowing exactly what was going to happen, except for John Hurt, of course. And uh, so their their reactions to it bursting out were pretty genuine. Just freaking awesome. I love that movie. And going a little deeper than that, uh, another film, uh, another Giggity. scene uh, <laughs> from a movie that the actor was unaware of what was actually going to happen was an aliens uh the hand knife game oh yeah yep oh yeah yep they replicated that one from this one from they dark sure star. did and in dark star i saw it and i was like this this is a, one of the parts where i was like hang on a second yeah so and he was that. terrible at it <laughs> yeah he was. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty bad also not an android so <laughs> correct so like it's what's interesting is what we're talking a lot more about the visuals of the film about what the film led to than the actual plot of the film because there isn't really much of one basically it's just no. about tedium it's about tedium it's, it's boring um Bunch the end result yeah uh the end result of the film was basically an explosion and you noticed it jimmy i did not until but i mean you technically showed me a picture of it mm -hmm. <laughs> the when the when the ship explodes and you see a piece of uh debris uh, what was on there? <laughs> it's the toilet tank that floats by. It says toilet tank. 
THX eleven thirty eight, and I had to re- rewind it. This is before I found out that they were acquaintances and that THX eleven thirty eight also started as a, a student film. But I'm just like, man, does John Carpenter hate George Lucas? He's calling his movie a toilet. Right? <laughs> no, he actually he liked it yeah. actually, <laughs> but uh, it's just a funny like. Hey, you know, and there there was also another uh, a kind of jab in the film, and one of John Carpenter's early kind of fuck you to the system. Uh, there's uh, at at some point when the the computer is is back talking, um, or or giving sass back to the crew, and it's kind of hard to find, but it says "fuck you, Harris" mm-hmm. on the screen, and that was Greg. Yeah, so Harris is. Um, let me scroll down here. Uh, Jack Harris is the first, is the person that bought the rights to the film. Uh, he found, saw the student film. He liked it. He basically insisted on a bunch of cuts and reshoots, and wanted. He was the one that wanted to push it from forty five minutes to an hour and a half. Um, Dan O'Bannon was like, "Look, we could have had what would have been the world's most impressive student film, but it ended up being the world's least impressive professional film as a result of these cuts and changes." And uh, so O'Bannon and director John Carpenter really he may he was not they were not happy so that was their little fu to Harris. Um, yeah, they they eventually to, did their own director's cut too, but I don't know if that's ever been released or not. Yeah, it's, I know it's shorter. Um, I don't know if if it's something that I'm able to see. Like we watched it on YouTube, so I might have watched it. It's hard to tell. Jimmy has an alien on his shoulder, but it's not an alien beach ball. It's uh, root, you dingus. <laughs> I know. That's where the Dark Star got all their wood on the ship. Yeah, they, they caught, they caught a, a Groot alien. <laughs> so th- this movie actually did lead to um, some clashes between all three of the, the main dudes, uh, Harris O'Bannon and John Carpenter. I know that O'Bannon and Carpenter did not work together again after this, correct? Correct. Even though yeah. they were good. Yeah. Um, and I know. Wait, didn't you just say it was O'Bannon who came up with the idea for Alien? Yeah, but John Carpenter didn't do Alien. It was Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott did Alien. So I'm going to see if I can remember this. O'Bannon went on to try to work for the Dune movie that never came out. And it actually broke him, like made him broke. And then he ended up going from there to working on Star Wars as doing all the computer graphics. So like the the little um, stay on target graphic was him because that actually involved programming and stuff. Um. John Carpenter, of course, went on to do Halloween. Which Never heard the, of him. <laughs> the biggest uh, independent movie of all time, money-wise at the time. And probably the biggest return on investment uh, ever, if you, you know, use today's money. Um, and I, if, if I remember correctly, Kerwin, this is why you're here. You better not screw this up. If I remember correctly. <laughs> no they, pressure. Who would like, know? O'Bannon and Carpenter really didn't have very nice things to say about each other's films afterwards. Is that what I'm remembering? Yeah, they they pretty much became basically enemies after this because the whole thing was that, um, you know, John Carpenter was the director, but Dan O'Bannon did a lot of work and a lot of his own sort of directing. And so he considered himself the director as well. But then they sat down and had this talk and John Carpenter was like, look, man, there's one director and it's me. It's not you. So zip it. And you know, he learned a huge lesson there that, wow, it's like, I thought we were friends and it turns out that, you know, we're not work is work and it doesn't matter anything else. Mm-hmm. 
And so and, after that, uh, they, yeah, they didn't work again. They didn't, yeah, they never had anything good to say really about each other that I know of. And yeah, that, like I know, like a lot of the the Hollywood interviewers and things like that would, of course, every time one of them would end up interviewed for Variety magazine and stuff, they would always do the thing where they ask the question, like, "No, John Carpenter what do you, what did the thing." <laughs> wow! Mm. Oh my god! Well done. <laughs> yes, it asked them like, you know, so what did you think of the new Halloween movie? And of O'Bannon would be like, eh, it's just a simple movie, and <laughs> he stole it from one of our classmates, which is actually kind of possibly true. So, yeah, so that was that was that. It did lead to the breaking up of this group, which is fine because it led to branching out of two different things, uh, two different movies. Is there anything else you guys would like to say about the lovely Dark Star? There, there were some some cool things I did like about it. Um, having the frozen commander and them mm-hmm. able to still no, talk to so him. Cool. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. And then I found out that was from a couple of uh, um, Philip K. Dick stories from back in the 60s. Man, that guy was so ahead of his time. Yeah. The yeah. And like the, the little it, dome. It Good. reminded it reminded me a lot of Captain Pike from Star Trek. The guy mm-hmm. who was in yeah. the chair that they couldn't really talk to, but yep. he could respond and. He could only use they, the button. He yeah, he couldn't use his uh, he couldn't use his voice or anything, but he could respond to questions and stuff. I was I'm not a big Star Trek person, other than like the newer stuff. But yeah, I thought that was pretty. I thought that was a pretty cool idea and execution. Uh, the ship wasn't all that terrible looking. Thought that was I like that aspect of it, which makes sense considering it was uh, Cobb uh, Roy Cobb who designed it. Yeah, and he of yeah. course, as I said, went on to other ships. Um, Looked like a giant uh, star destroyer, or yeah, like a much. small du- star destroyer. Yeah. yeah, with a trouble pop-o-matic bubble on top. If you ever played mm-hmm. that game in the eighties, <laughs> put some put some dice in there. Yeah, it's... or the dude just sat up there looking for the Phoenix asteroids. <laughs> yep, <laughs> he finally got to see him as they carried him away to circle the universe forever. Yeah, the yep. the ship sure looked looked a lot like the uh the Normandy from the Mass Effect series. I don't think that's any coincidence. So, I th- I think that is everything we have to say about this movie because we have to ask the question and I always forget the wording of it. Uh are we all squared away? I don't think that's the wording of the question. <laughs> are we no. all squared away? So, my number 5 <laughs> no, Jimmy. The question about should they remake this movie? What What do you think? Remake, remake revival, revival, or rest revival, in peace, or rest in peace, rest in peace, rest in peace. Kerwin, I think a remake would be good. There, there were some interesting concepts that, if they were done better, it could make a pretty good movie. I swear to God, if they do a remake, I will find you. I will hunt you down. Hold on. I'm going to build on that and say a remake, big budget, John Carpenter. Ooh. Oh, God, that would stick it to Dan O'Bannon. My God, he'd be rolling over his grave. (laughs) No, they're Um, actually – it should also star Dan O'Bannon as the frozen uh, captain. (laughs) They just dig him up. There you go. Just put it out there to the universe, guys. (laughs) Perfect. How how much of a fuck you would that be for them to create a mask that looks like Dan O'Bannon and have him be the captain 
and because all he all it has to do is just sit there and go. <laughs> <laughs> you are gonna get haunted by Dan O'Bannon. <laughs> John Carpenter and- over there directing him, like, look, no, look more dead, more dead. <laughs> Dude, if, if Dan O'Bannon haunted me, I'd just sit there with a notebook and be like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, tell me. Uh-huh. Yeah, tell me about how you wrote this movie. And uh-huh. What other ideas do you have for feature films? Mr. Dan O'Bannon, listed as the writer of Alien 1979. He wrote Alien. He wrote Aliens. He wrote Dark Star. He wrote Return of the Living Dead. He wrote Blue Thunder. Which we should watch someday. Ah, uh, Blue uh, Thunder. Alien th- Alien 3 he created some characters for it. But 34 writing credits. Um I don't I don't think you need any more after you say that you've written Alien. Uh, he- oh he wrote uh, two of the stories in Heavy Metal which I know you hate but he still did it. Um I guess he gets a he oh he wrote Total Recall of course. Uh he gets an a um a credit every time there's an Alien movie or video game. So, because he, he created the screamers, mm. yeah. So every time that you they use the, uh, he also wrote the short movie Bloodbath in 1969, which I believe is a slow a slow film, seven minute film about a suicide, which I will never ever watch. So anyway, I believe we're going since we are talking about origin stories and creation of movies. That is where we are leading with our actual question of the week here, the top top, the top five question of the week. This is going to involve a little bit of explanation. What are the top five most interesting origin stories for the creation of our favorite pop culture characters, films, shows, and scenes, stories, etc.? So not like Spider-Man got bitten by a spider, but... So and so life inspirations. Yeah. So and so saw this and decided to or witnessed this or had this feeling or problem and decided to write about it. Um, I will use an example that is not on my list, but it's a good example just to help people out there that are playing along at home. Uh, for example, uh, Stargirl, the show that that's show right now and a character in the comics was based on Jeff John's sister who died at the age of 17. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in a plane crash. And so a lot of the characteristics of that, of that character is based on Jeff John's sister. So that kind of thing. Uh, we try to stick, stay away from just like, Oh, this ser- the, you know, Jason was based on the serial killer things that actually kind of happen to the people. But if you screw up, that's okay. Oh, well, Who's- I probably screwed up. Rob. Okay. So who Three, wants Greg. to go first? I will go ahead and set the tone and hopefully I, uh, hopefully I do a good job of this. Um, this, this question, like we said, was a lot of fun to research. Um, there were a lot of films that I were hoping were more personal stories behind the characters or the story, but there just actually wasn't. Um, so I picked ones that, uh, live on in pop culture and uh, continue, and that are, uh, are 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 close to my heart. I'll start with uh, these are really no particular order. Uh, my number five is going to be the character Roland Deschain. It's from the Dark Tower series, uh, character written by Stephen King, 
who was inspired to create the character in seeing Clint Eastwood on the screen as the man with no name. Hmm. So it makes a lot of sense when you, when you see and read that. Yeah. When you read that for sure. Um, my number four is going to be the, uh, the beach ball that inspired co-writer Dan O'Bannon to pen star beast <laughs> that later became alien aliens, etc., and still continues to this day. Number three, Halloween. Michael Myers was based on John Carpenter's encounter with a mental patient with a quote, schizophrenic stare. I did not know that. Yes. <laughs> where he got the idea for the young Michael Myers. Number two, the incredible Hulk. Jack Curry Kirby was inspired to create the character after witnessing a woman lift a car to save her child. Oh, he actually witnessed it. That's what I read. Did she turn green? <laughs> I mean, I, that's that's unconfirmed. Did her purple pants tear from her body? Yes. And it's very awesome. likely that somebody was wearing purple pants back then. True. And my number one, again, no particular order because uh, most people know that the story was inspired uh, by a story from Philip K. Dick in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I'm talking about the film Blade Runner, the aesthetic that lives on today, the neon, the electrical, industrial feel, the cold steel, the acid rain, all of that was inspired uh, by Ridley Scott's experience in art school in West Hartlepool in the north of England, almost right alongside mm. the Durham Steel Mills in Imperial Chemical Industries. The air, air would smell like toast, he said. Toast is quite nice, but when you realize it's steel and it's probably particles, it's not very good. So, To this day, whenever Ridley Scott walks by a refrigerator, a magnet will leap from it and stick to his lungs. Yep. Because of all the steel that you have. metal shavings. So. Yes. That is very my nice. List. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. We're going to we're going to go to the internet real quick. I Let's think. go to the internet. One of oh, our internet, pa- one of our patrons, Alec. He is a patron of unusual size. He has submitted a list and uh his list is really really well researched. I very much enjoyed it. Couple uh, he did put it in the wrong order though. So I'll yell at him at some point. But Son of a. First of all, a couple honorable mentions. Home Alone, John Hughes was going on vacation and wrote a list of things he didn't want to forget, including his kids, basically. <laughs> he did not want to. And then he ended up wondering what it would happen if he let oh, his 10-year-old amazing. son at home. Uh, also, Heat, Michael Mann got the idea from a, a cop he worked with on a crime on crime story in Miami Vice. And he said that that cop had uh, was friends or knew of a criminal named Neil McCauley. Uh, and they met in a coffee shop one day, and the next time they met, they had guns drawn on each other. So that led to the movie Heat. But his actual five, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Cameron Crowe, who wrote the movie, spent a year undercover as a high school student for a book that he was writing. Mm. Uh, Zodiac. Nowadays, there's no way you'd be allowed to do that. 
Well, there's no way you'd be allowed to do that. Some people might. <laughs> well, okay. It, literally no one that works in Hollywood is allowed near a high school anymore. I think after this past couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So you are correct. Uh, Zodiac. This one's interesting because the Zodiac killer is a crazy story. And I forgot about the whole bus side of it. So David Fincher, who did Zodiac, he was drawn to this project because when he grew up in the Bay Area during the height of the Zodiac madness, he remembers being on a school bus and the police following it because of the Zodiac threats. And there was a serial killer, but he also did call in bomb threats and said he was going to bomb a school bus and kill a bunch of kids. Oh, wow. Uh, again, hmm. um, wow. And, and Fincher had was part of that, um, was going to school there. Uh, Crooklyn. Spike Lee based this movie on his and his siblings' lives. His mother had terminal illness, and his dad was a musician, and they were in the New York in New York City. So it's basically a life story. Uh, E.T. Spielberg had an imaginary friend after his friend, parents divorced when he was a kid. Uh, and Taxi Driver is the number one. Paul Schrader, who wrote Ooh. the screenplay, had insomnia, was living out of his car in New York City. He went to porn theaters and didn't talk to anyone for weeks until he had to go to the hospital for an ulcer. When And then he ended up creating the Travis Bickle character and made him a taxi driver after basically living Travis Bickle's life. Wow. So, hmm. yeah, those are some really good ones. Yeah. Um, this was really hard. As as Jimmy mentioned, this was really hard to research because you almost had to work backwards. Mm-hmm. You almost had to be like, okay, let's see. Uh, the Godfather, what inspired that? Now is inspired by some real criminal that the guy didn't know. Like, things like that. So it was hard. Um, I was sure that the only reason that the movie Bloodsport got made is because somebody involved in that film knew of Frank Dukes, who was completely <laughs> full of shit. But I wanted that was I was like, yes, that's one. I can't wait to put it on there. But nobody really involved with that film had anything to do with the actual event. Yeah. Uh, underground blood sport event. Yeah. So so who else who else wants to go here? I can do mine. Do it. All right. So my number five, I got Back to the Future because um, uh, Zemeckis and Gale, they wrote the script after wondering what it would be like if they, you know, met their parents when they were the same age and whether or not they'd become friends. And I always, always thought that was kind of interesting. Like, you know, you, can, you can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Their parents How much of your family would you actually want to hang out with? If your parents yeah. tried, you know? yeah. He it. And he, he actually went back to his dad's house or something, and he was looking through the yearbooks and found out that his dad was the student body president or the, the equivalent or whatever. And when he was when he was in high school, he was the lead for the uh, the abolish the student government thing. So he, he was curious <laughs> to see if they would get get along if if they had met each other when they were when they were in high school. That's funny. <laughs> That's interesting, too. Go on. Um, all right. My number four was also Michael Myers from Halloween. Um, number three was uh, the movie Raising Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian De Palma had a child psychologist friend who wanted to take time off from regular work to do like an intensive study on his own daughter. And Brian De Palma wondered what would happen if he had like a twisted version of that who would induce child trauma and create like this person with multiple personalities and all this kind of stuff. Well, my hmm. wife is a psychologist and I don't think that's affected me much. What about your, uh, your offspring? Uh, he actually tries to murder Jimmy every time he sees him. That is not, that is not a joke. <laughs> and, and that's okay. 
That's <laughs> perfect. That's a perfectly reasonable response. Yeah, they can that's sense why, evil at that age. I tried to murder yeah, me too. <laughs> shit. <laughs> that's that's why we know he's okay. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Oh, God, where was I? Oh, so uh, number two, Seinf- Seinfeld. Ah, oh, yeah, there we go. Mm. Just like m- so much of Seinfeld was based off of the writers and creators' own experiences, and especially, you know, George Costanza was based a lot on um, Larry David. Larry David. And mm-hmm. his, his own weird-ass life experiences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and my number one would be uh, Pinhead from Hellraiser. Uh, really? because this is all new. Yeah. The, um, a lot of, uh, Clive Barker's inspiration was that by, was from punk fashion, um, different Catholic beliefs, like in purgatory, stuff like that. And then a lot of S and M clubs that he visited in both New York and Amsterdam. Yeah. And then also on a book on African fetishes, which also included, um, a tribe that would carve skulls from wood and then jam a hundreds or dozens of needles in it. Hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> this, this, that's why this, this question is cool because like you're, you are, we all had to work backwards. So like, we're not having a lot of crossover here. Um, you also, I guess I can discover some shit you never knew about different cultures. Yeah. I, I'm going to need to read yeah. this African, African fetish book. Yeah. I'll see if I'm I can into, find the I'm title for it. that. <laughs> and I also just, I couldn't help just picturing, you know, Clive Barker visiting all these S and M clubs. I'm like, did he get ideas because he happened to be there? Does he does he just go to these clubs? Now I, another one. Now uh, I I wanted to put on the list. I I did not because it just didn't like Hellraiser uh, spawned so many films and comics and books and and stuff like that. But there's another experience. A, a very famous author, Chuck Palahniuk, uh, wrote the mm-hmm. book Choke based on his experiences visiting sex addict groups hmm. but he did that to get ideas for stories yeah, yeah. he also wrote fight club of course sure. famously yeah. i will go next because go well, do it girl I, i'm doing it yeah <laughs> and doing Child. it well seinfeld is my number five kerwin <laughs> and you you named some of the reasons why uh, George, of course, was based on Larry David. Like you said, the the bet episode with the masturbation bet was actually based on something he did with his friends. Uh, <laughs> Kramer was based on his neighbor, Kenny Kramer, who would burst into his room, his place with get rich quick ideas. Uh, Al yeah. Yegana, the soup Nazi, was was actually a real dude who is funny because he hates Seinfeld. He won't allow him into his restaurant. He's pissed <laughs> off yet. Yet, if you go to the frozen food part section of Publix, you can buy soup Nazi soup that says "As Seed on Seinfeld." So I don't know exactly how well, you can hate someone and then you know advertise it, but and then capitalize on it. Yeah, uh, Elaine Bennis was actually a combination of Elaine Boozler, where he got the name, uh, Susan McNabb, and Carol Liefer, uh, female comedians that he worked with. So all those people became the crazy cast of Seinfeld. Uh, Siegel and Schuster, you know who they invented. Superman. There you go. Siegel's uh, father died of a heart attack in 1932. It was during a robbery at the family clothing store. Someone pulled a gun on him and he died. Hmm. Wow. So, so Siegel uh, basically fantasized like what if there was someone that could have saved his father by getting between his father and the gun to save his father's life. The earliest sketches of Superman basically show Superman be- being between uh, the gunman and his father. And well, it 
since he wasn't actually shot and he died of a heart attack, I don't know that Superman being between him and the gun would have helped. <laughs> Still, I guess knowing that you're safe, yeah, he basically wishing that there was someone that could keep him safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the other thing was that uh, Siegel had wanted to be a reporter as a child, and that's where the Clark Kent thing came in. Uh, we already talked about this at length. The alien is number three, but not just the beach ball. The Just for me, it was the chestburster scene. It was inspired by the Crohn's disease. Uh, there was a vacation for my number two. There was a nice vacation. Uh, Stephen King had written Carrie and I think one other book that basically made him a household name and super famous. So he took a little vacation to try to get away from Maine. And he stayed at a little place called the Stanley Hotel. Uh, and while he was overlook. Yes. And while he was there, he had a, a dream about a hose chasing his child around the hallways like an actual fire hose, Hmm. Uh, which of course led to the shining. It also at that same trip, he also saw that the hotel had a little, uh, uh, pet cemetery on the grounds Hmm. that you could visit. And he came up with the idea for pet cemetery there as well. So it was one vacation to major books and movies. Uh, and of course there was also themes of alcoholism because Stephen King was starting to have to deal with alcoholism and drug abuse Mm -hmm. around that time. My number one, this has been my number one a few times, actually, but not for this reason. The Crow. James O'Barr had a fiance. He got engaged at the age of 18. And her name was Ever- Beverly. Uh, Beverly was ev- hit and killed by a drunk driver uh, right before they got married, very soon before they got married. Can't believe uh, I didn't he, think of this one because I, I know this story so well, too. Yeah. So he tried a bunch of things to get past it. Uh, this was in the early 70s, I believe. He tried to do a bunch of stuff to get away from that life and, you know, forget what that early part of his life, he joined the Marines. Uh, when he was in the Marines, he started drawing. He was, and as he was drawing, he came up with the story for the crow in which someone's fiance is killed, not by a drunk driver, mm. but still, but he drew the crow as a way to deal with grief. Uh, I did not realize that that book was worked on throughout the eighties and didn't, the last issue of it didn't get released till like 1991. I had no idea. I thought that it was released all in the eighties. Yeah, that all took a long time to come out. Mm-hmm. So it was That's finally what she released. Said. <laughs> Inappropriate, Rob. It finally came out in the late ninety or in the early nineties. The movie came out in nineteen ninety four, and while filming in the movie, of course, Brandon Lee was shot and killed, and it, of course, put James O'Barr back into the feeling of that he was cursed and never really allowed to be happy. Um, mm. So that the crow is yet another sad story for me, but it is one of the craziest um, origin stories of real life stuff. Rob. All right. Well, you better be I, well, I have an honorable mention just because I can't effing believe that it was a true, that it was a real story, but there, there was a, uh, there was a man who inspired a movie. He was a uh, Mexican priest who took the name Frey Tormenta in 1973 because he started doing Lucha Libre wrestling in order to financially support a local orphanage, which, of course, is the basis for Nacho Libre. Libre. Or Nacho Libre, yeah. Nacho Libre, yep. That's glorious. I like that. Yeah. I, 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 when I found that, I was like, that was, that was a real thing? Yeah, I, I read <laughs> that once before, too. And I think the same article, um, what was that Adam Sandler one where he was a um, hairdresser from a different country? Uh, uh, don't mess, you don't mess with the Zohan. Yeah, true story as yeah. well. 
This, really? this like, yeah, this this uh, assassin guy from another country came over and decided to be a hairdresser, basically. That, that's awesome. <laughs> but I at my number five, um, I'll put a there was there was a story in in a magazine in 1998 that focused it was called Racer X and it focused on illegal street racing in New York, which of course was read by director Rob Cohen and turned into. Oh, uh, pets. Yes. That's exactly what it was. It was Babe, pig in the city. Yes. It was fast and the furious. Yes. Fast and the furious. (laughs) It, at number four, um, I'll go ahead and do, do ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd actually had the idea for Ghostbusters because his his entire family was like all spiritualists. I think he had like an aunt or something that was a medium, um, but his his entire family had been fascinated with the with the whole spiritual realm, if you will. And they had talked at length. At one point, he had talked with somebody about the possibility of trapping ghosts mm-hmm. and and holding them and talk to them and whatnot. And, and the idea for Ghostbusters was born out of his, his family's history with spiritualism. Yeah. All of the science I'm doing finger quotes, which you guys can't see, uh, all of science in that is, uh, very realistic based on what Ghostbusters and ghost apparition people actually believe, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. so like those, a lot of times when that type of stuff comes out, people get all pissed off. Like, 80s metal people are pissed off when there's movies about the 80s metal scene and all that. But this people are like, oh, yeah, they're right. So he knows the shit. Yeah. Yeah. He's still heavily involved with that stuff, too. Mm-hmm. At at number three, I had Back to the Future. Nice. Kerwin and I had the same one. I, I read that story and I thought it was neat. I, I especially thought it was funny that his his father was the student council president and he was president of the abolished student government. Yeah, I don't remember reading so, that. That's pretty interesting. I, I I found that amusing. Well, I mean, I don't know if it's accurate. It was it was an article that I read about it, but mm. you know, it was I, I I found it amusing. At number two, and this is one where I'm not sure that I mean, well, you know, Fast and the Furious was the same as well, but there was there was a movie that was inspired by a story, and it's crazy. Um, but there in the was it late seventies. I think it was I think it was late 70s. The the Laotian refugees were escaping the killing fields, basically. And there was a rash of young Laotian men who were having very severe nightmares and dying in their sleep. (laughs) Which, of course, became the basis for Nightmare on Elm Street. And it, I believe it was one story in particular. There was a young boy who was having nightmares about being chased by a man who was trying to kill him. And he was literally afraid to go to sleep. And one day when he finally went to sleep, um, when he, when he finally went to sleep, he had a very severe nightmare and started screaming in the middle of the night. And by the time they got to him, he was dead. Yeah. I'd read that so, too. That, that, family actually moved to America. They like escaped there, didn't they? Right. Right. Yeah. I've been signed out of Google from another tab. What? (laughs) Anyway. Um, and then of course, my number himself, he, uh, I know, right. That was, he, 
heavily influenced from um, when Wes Craven was like 11 and he saw this creepy homeless man and that just like mm-hmm. burned into his mind. And that's kind of where the Freddy Krueger look Design. and feel kind of came from. Yeah. Right. Right. But my number one is a, uh, an entire book series that came about because of a bet. And Jim <laughs> Butcher, no, Jim Butcher was bet that he couldn't write a series that combined Pokemon with the Roman Legion. And as a result, we got a six book series called the Codex Alera that was a bestseller. Huh. So he won the bet. He did. <laughs> Very soundly. So that's how Dr. Seuss books came around, actually. He he was bet that he couldn't write a children's book using just a certain number of words. And that's why they're so repetitive in the way they rhyme and the way they're written. So right. same concept. Now, he won that bet, too. And and the bet the bet was actually fairly interesting because the, the, it was a debate that that started the whole thing. And the debate was what is more important when writing a story, the ability of the author or the validity of the concept. And Butcher was arguing that the author's ability is the most important thing to develop a story, because if you it, you even if you've got a great a great premise, if the author sucks, it's going to be a shitty book. And the other guy was arguing the other side. And as as a result of which he said, fine, well, you're such a great writer. Write a story combining Pokemon and the Roman Legion. He was like, all right. And he friggin did it. Nice. Hmm. That is also that is also the idea. Uh, Stan Lee. That's how he created Iron Man. That was almost on my list. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was the height of the Cold War. The readers, the young readers basically hated war, hated the military. So he made up a hero that represented a weapons was, manufacturer. Yeah, that's how he wrote a lot of things. I mean, the same with uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. Same yep. same thing. And then, But that's, you know, every time other publishing companies were like, well, Marvel has too much like red on their covers. They have too many word balloons. They have this. That's how the, he would do the opposite and prove that like it's it's the writing. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Okay. I think that takes us out of our episode, mm-hmm. our side B episode. Jimmy, or you are up next. So close out the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Next week, we are going to be discussing on side B, the film Hell Comes to Frogtown. I originally had uh, the movie Shocker, a Wes Craven film, but With M- Mitch Pileggi was yes, in that. Yes, sir. Uh, I saw this and I was like, holy shit, if we're not going to cover a good movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper, we might as well talk about a bad one. So stick around. Can't wait to talk about that. You can watch the movie on Tubi, which is a free application. That is Hell Comes to Frogtown. 1988 sci-fi, apocalyptic, and post-apocalyptic action. Guys, Jimmy just talked about the movie we're going to watch. If you want to know more about what we're going to cover, you can, of course, sign up for our – for our not our Discord, but our Patreon – $5 $5 is going to get you early access to the movies we're going to be reviewing, the question we're going to ask. It gives you the opportunity to actually answer that question. You can be part of our Discord chat where you can talk to us and Kerwin. And you can learn all about the random crap we buy and watch and all of that fun stuff. There's a bunch of other stuff. Check us out at patreon.com slash give me five podcast. 
And if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can check out GiveMe5Podcast.com. You can find us on our Twitter and Instagram at GiveMe5Podcast. Give us a follow on there. You can email us directly at GiveMe5Podcast at gmail.com. Guys, we have a store. You can find it on GiveMe5Podcast.com. I addressed a little bit of a technical issue on there today, but you can also get access to the episodes of the podcast as well on that site. And if you could leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening to, we'd certainly appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Good morning, good afternoon, and guten Nacht. And thank you, Kerwin. Thanks, buddy. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Kerwin. You're welcome. Blade Rummer, Blade Rummer, <laughs> Blade <laughs> Rummer. I'd, I, I'd uh, see that. I tried so hard. He's totally drunk. He's absolutely hammered the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> On rum. Uh, Blade Rummer. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>